Good morning, everybody. We're going to get started. We just ask if you uh, take your seats. Also, today is a communion Sunday, so please, if you haven't had a chance yet to grab anything for communion, there's a couple of stations in the back and on the sides. Feel free to do that now during the first song. It'll be a little bit more weird if you do it right beforehand and rush around. So. We are, uh, we're in a series called Not So Fast. And so as we, as we begin today, we're just asking you to please know that you can be here. Give yourself permission to just be here, to be present. As we sing this first song, Your Great Name, as we sing to our, our great, our glorious God, whose name is above all names, just pray that you give yourself permission to be here in this moment. So please stand and worship with us.
During this series, we're intentionally trying to take time to just be here, to be present. And so for the next several minutes, we're going to take that time. And for this first minute, we're asking you to just give yourself permission to be here. Sometimes we have to do that. Your mind might be at home, it might be on a job, it might be on a career, it might be on some financial issues, it might be torn in a relationship, it might be anything. I'm just asking you for the next 60 minutes, because there's not a problem in this world that's going to go away in the next 60 minutes, I promise you. And if it does, praise God, but it's not. So for the next minute, please just give yourself permission to be here. And if you have the attention span of a chinchilla, like I do, you can breathe. Three, five, seven. You breathe in for three, you hold it for five, you breathe out for seven. You do that four times, that's your minute. And during that time, just let it be off of your shoulders. Put it next to you, if you can put it at the feet of the cross, and give it to God, because we have, as it says, a worthy lamb, slain, son of God, son of man, High and lifted up, we praise his name. All the world's going to do it, whether they want to or not. That's our God. He's the one that tells us and begs us and wants us to give him our burdens. And if you really can't, then at least put him aside for 60 minutes. So take that minute right now, please. Today, Mike's going to speak to us about uh, judging. And we have a scripture for today. And we're going to give you another four minutes just to read through it ten times if you want. Just let those words sink in. The more you read it, the more it's going to sink in, and the more Mike's message is going to be able to then speak into you as you let these words of Christ settle in your heart. Please take a few minutes to do that now.
Good morning, everyone. Hey, it is good to be back here. When I, when I pulled in and started talking, wow, holy cow. I didn't even do anything. <laughs> That's so nice of you. So I, when, I, uh, when I talked to Paul in the back, he says, hey, welcome home. So it's, it's good to be home. So if you're new here, you're wondering, why are we applauding for this guy? You know, he hasn't done anything at all. Um, so my name is Mike, and I have been on staff here in the past for about 15 years. And now I'm at another church in Brookfield, and it's just, it's just good to be back. It's so good to see all of you. I wish we had time in between services where we could just catch up and hear how things are going. So this is the third Sunday in the season of Lent in the church calendar. And uh, in, a, in a group this size... Um, there, are, there are some of you who are uh, probably like, uh, there's a church calendar? Okay. <laughs> and, and, there, and there are other people who are like, oh, finally, hey, we're recognizing a church calendar. We're recognizing, you know, holidays, and we're talking about Lent. This reminds me a lot more of the church that I, that I grew up in. But regardless of, of what your background is in, in church and whether you're familiar with a church calendar or not, Lent is a time that followers of Jesus have been observing since almost the very beginning of our movement. From the earliest days of the church, we find, uh, we find evidences of followers of Jesus taking time, a season, to prepare their hearts for Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter. And it's a reflection of what the Jewish people used to do when they would prepare their, their selves for their day of atonement, the Yom Kippur, which is the, the highest and holiest day in the Jewish calendar, and they would take an entire month to prepare their hearts and to do some soul searching and to do some reflection and even do some fasting in preparation for their day of atonement. So uh, the, the leadership here at Kettlebrook, I think, has wisely decided that wouldn't it be good, wouldn't it be good if we kind of took a page out of the Hebrew calendar and took some time and a season to just prepare our souls for Easter Sunday. And I, I don't know about you, but I find in my own life, in my own journey with God, that if I take time uh, during the season of Lent to deny myself, to do some, some introspection, to do some soul searching, that makes Easter Sunday even that much more special and even that much more significant. So we want to encourage you to, to take time to do that with us today. So we're uh, in this series, uh, week two, called Not So Fast, where we're seeking to intentionally create space and listen to hear from God in our gatherings like we just did, and that would hopefully point us to taking time to listen to God in our own lives as well. Because our lives are really fast, right? And to, to quote that great theologian, Ferris Bueller, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't slow down to take a look around, you might just miss it. And if I could paraphrase that, say life moves pretty fast. And if you don't take time to listen to God, you might just miss him. And today we're talking about not so fast, being not so fast to judge. And I have, the, I have a great illustration for you to just talk about this sermon series, not so fast to judge. Just this week, just this week, I was coming back from work and I had to get to, to the bank uh, to do some business at the bank. And so I'm going north on 45 and I have to get off at Paradise, right? Okay, the ex exit for Paradise. And I'm coming down the off-ramp onto Paradise and I see that I have a green light, okay? So you really want to make that green light because if you miss the green light, you have to stay there for three days, okay? So I, so I kind of rev it up a little bit and I, and I make that green light. And I took the corner a little fast. I took the corner a little fast. And, and then and I went straight there on Paradise and then I turned into Chase Bank where I, where I did my business. And as I'm turning into Chase Bank, there's this white minivan that's tracking me and pulling up behind me. And as I get out of my car, Troy rolls down his window and he says, you are a maniac. You are driving like a maniac. And so the moral of the story is, don't be so fast like me and don't be so fast to judge like Troy. Okay? So we'll just pray and have our benediction and... Uh, 
no. But we, we, are a, we are a judging culture. We are a judging culture. Uh, you don't have to look very far to realize this, right? You know, every time that I go on the internet to do some research, whether it's research for a message or research for an, an item, you know, and they have these reviews sections, you know, where you get to comment, and then you get to comment on somebody's comment. And you get to comment on somebody else's review. And it doesn't take too much time before things get really nasty and cruel. And you're like, I'm like, goodness, like where did all this negativity come from, you're right? And I'm not on social media, but I'm told that social media isn't much better at all. And the fact that we, we get to hide behind aliases and avatars gives us the freedom to kind of vent all of our judgment and condemnation. And what this is, is, is this is truly, it's really just a reflection of the human heart. Because when, when the throttle is taken off and no one knows who you are, who you are comes out into the surface. And, and we are really just a, a judging culture. And so to, to kind of combat this, we have kind of cultural slogans like say, like say you know, don't judge me right? Don't judge me. Don't, or, or we have judgment-free zones, right? Okay, you go to the gym and it's a judgment-free free zone, right? But that really doesn't help things because this is, issue of condemning people and, 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 and drawing conclusions and categorizing and all of that is really an issue of the heart. And no slogan and no judgment-free zone is going to change the, the human heart. It doesn't solve the problem. And so we need something deeper in order to really deal with this, this whole issue of our, our judgmental attitudes. And I used to do this all the time, right? When I was a younger man, before I had kids, I, you know, I would be in the grocery store and you'd see that, that, that parent with their, with their young kid and, and he or she would be throwing a fit. And, and I remember thinking there's a young, young man going, what is wrong with that parent? I sure am glad my kids aren't going to do that when I'm a parent, you know. I'm going to do it right. And then I got married. And then I had kids. And guess what? Before too long, I was that parent, you know, in the grocery store. And so, you know, but we have this tendency to, to do this all the time. And, um, and this is exactly the kind of judgmental attitude that, that actually ends up keeping people from Jesus. And the big idea this morning is that it's, it's actually God's kindness that leads us towards repentance in the scripture that we just read. And it's our kindness that leads others to Jesus. It's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance, and it's our kindness that will ultimately lead others to Jesus. So I want to turn, encourage you to turn your Bibles or we'll put that, that back up on the screen again. We'll be able to read it together. Paul is one of these early statesmen's followers of Jesus and he's sent primarily to, to give the good news of Jesus Christ primarily to non-Jews. But he's writing now to this mixed group in, uh, in Rome and he's, it's made up of Jews and Gentiles so he's speaking to both. And so he just got done kind of addressing the Jewish people. And, uh, and, and Paul is speaking to these Jewish people who thought that simply because they were Jewish that they were better than their non-Jewish neighbors. And in chapter 1, he just gets them talking about this whole laundry list, this whole variety of sins that occurs when someone doesn't know God or doesn't follow God like the Jewish people did. And he, he's kind of anticipating that his Jewish, follow, his Jewish readers are like, yep, that's right. That's what those terrible people do who don't know, don't know God, don't know, you know Yahweh like we do. That's what they do. They do it all the time. And he kind of intuitively anticipates this response. And he writes the next four verses exclusively to his Jewish readers to tell them, don't be so fast to judge. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other person, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. 
Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Now, for starters, it's important to realize what these verses are not saying, okay? They're not saying that we suspend any of our critical faculties and don't make any assessments or judgments at all in life. We have to do that. We have to make assessments of every kind, okay? When I'm teaching my kids to drive and you see a car that's, you know, driving erratically in front of you, say, okay, stay away from that car, you know, stay, keep your distance from that car because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to exercise good judgment. But the other thing that it's saying is that it's not saying that we don't call sin, sin. We do. We have to, we have to exercise that kind of, of, of judgment as well. I mean, lying is still lying. We still want to be people of truth and honesty and integrity. And we want our, our words to actually mean something. So he's not saying that we, we don't call sin, sin. But, but what does this mean? What do these words mean when he talks about judgment? John Stott, when talking about this idea of judgment from a similar text, he says this. And we can put that up there on the screen. I think I have the quote. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. The simple but vital point which Paul is making in these verses is that, is that man is not God. No human being is qualified to be the judge of his fellow humans, for we cannot read each other's hearts or assess each other's motives. And what Paul is saying here in verse 1 is that we have to be very careful in applying critical condemning attitudes towards others because in our most honest moments we need to realize that we have all done the same thing at some point in our lives. That Paul, in, in, in verse 21 through 23 uh, of, of chapter 2 of Romans, he says this. He says, you then who teach others, uh, do, not, uh, do you not teach yourselves? You who preach against stealing, do you not steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you not rob temples? He's basically saying, we are all at some points guilty of breaking the law. It's just a matter of, of degree. And all of us need to realize that we've all fallen short of God's standards. That none of us are perfect and we don't have the right to be judge and jury on our fellow man because we ourselves are guilty of the same thing. And this should have an amazing, humbling effect on all of us. It should make us all incredibly humble. Because he goes on to say to these Jewish people that uh, in, verse, in verse 2 here, he says, now those who do such things, is, uh, he says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? He's kind of saying, who made you immune from God's judgment. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He knows your thoughts and your motives. He knows your secrets. He knows what you do when no one's looking and how you behave from nobody's looking. And he, he's, Paul is kind of insinuating, you know you are not guiltless. So what do you think makes you immune from God's judgment? And th again, this should have this humbling impact on, on, all, on all of us. I mean, Really, honestly, who of us would want our worst possible moments to be broadcast on Facebook for everyone to see? <laughs> that, that would be incredibly humiliating and humbling. And Paul is saying, 
We should have that attitude. You know that our worst possible ones, we can do the very things that we look down on others for. It's only because of the kindness and grace of God that puts us in right standing with him at all. Verse 4 says this, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Paul is saying here that it's exactly God's patience and his tolerance and his kindness that drew each and every one of us towards salvation, towards repentance, towards forgiveness. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't condemnation. That usually doesn't really work really well. And in the same way, if we want to have a positive effect on others, it's not going to be through judgment. It's not going to be through condemnation, but it's going to be through kindness as well. And I would, in fact, I would say it this way. The opposite of judgment isn't withholding judgment. It isn't suspending judgment. It's kindness. It's kindness. Because just withholding judgment and, 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 and just suspending judgment of any kind is really kind of, kind of ethically neutral, right? It's an ethically and moral vacuum. There's nothing there. But the opposite of judging and the opposite of condemning is not suspending judgment, but it's extending, instead, kindness to the other person. And this is what God does with us. God doesn't, doesn't towards us, just withhold judgment or just suspend judgment, but he extends kindness towards us. And he takes the initiative towards us, exemplified in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. And it's our kindness that leads others to Jesus. And this is most beautifully demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was here, he was the most accepting, non-judgmental person there was. In fact, it, it, the, the worst people in the world seemed to be magnetically drawn towards Jesus, this guy who was like the most righteous person who ever lived. And, and Jesus himself actually said twice in the Gospel of John, he says, I have not come to condemn the world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world. It's so interesting to me that followers of Jesus Christ seem so eager to do the one thing that Jesus never said he never came to do. He said he did not come to condemn the world, but we're more than ready to condemn the world and to step into that situation. Jesus, uh, he, he interacted with people like Paul was addressing in this, this book of Romans, this letter to the Romans who were looking down on everybody else. Jesus interacted with these people all the time. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, we have this situation where Jesus is, is teaching and he's telling stories and he's hanging out with all these, all these wicked people, all the bad people, all the, all the people you're not supposed to be with, you know? The ones who smoke and drink and, you know, and everything, everything like that. All those people that your parents tell you not to hang around with. He's, he's hanging around with them. And as he's hanging around with them, it says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, okay? These are the Jewish people. These are, these are the Christians. These are us in this story. They muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And in response, Jesus tells a trio of three stories talking about how precious human beings, even lost, messed up, broken human beings are to Jesus. And the, the last story is the, the story that we all know. It's the story of the prodigal son. You know, there's two sons. One son says to his dad, Dad, I wish you were dead, so can you give me your share of the inheritance? He goes off and he blows the inheritance on wild living and on prostitutes. And, and finally he comes to the end of himself and he goes back to his dad. And his dad welcomes him with his open arms, open arms and they have a party for him. And as they're having a party, the older son is just, he is ticked. He is just pitched. He's like, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you. And you never have thrown a party for me at, at all. And the father says to him, he says, Son, everything I have is yours. And you are always with me. We're always in relationship. Your son was lost and now he's found. 
He was dead and now he's alive and we have to celebrate. Can you hear the father's heart there? He was lost and he's found. He's dead and now he's alive and we have to celebrate. He's basically saying, are you going to be apathetic and indifferent towards the lostness of people? Or are you going to have kindness and compassion on them? See, we hear the story of the prodigal son. And who do we always relate to? Who do we identify with? Right away. The younger son, right? The one who goes off and spends all of his dad's money on wild living and stuff like that. Because we're like, at one point or other in our lives, we're like, that's us. That was a, we, we were that guy. We, we made those decisions. We screwed up and stuff like that. But I'd like to submit to you that in this story, most of us aren't in danger of being that person. I'm like, I don't know about you. How many of you are going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, yeah, I think I'm going to go spend my time with prostitutes and get drunk and wild living, right? You know, most of us are not going to do that. The danger with us, more likely than not, is that we're the older son. We're the older son in the story. Put it, put it that, that screen again from Luke chapter 15. Because Jesus, again, is with all these people who are sinners, and the Christians, the churchgoers, the Pharisees, are the ones who have a problem with it. They're the ones who muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus is saying, are you going to have the heart of the Pharisee, which is judgmental and condemning? Or are you going to have the heart of the Father who extends kindness? In my life, I have all sorts of friends and people in my life now who are far from Jesus. I, I love these people. They're wonderful human beings. And I've connected with one of them um, in the past year. He's a former college friend of mine. And, um, and so I was with him um, and some friends this past Thursday. So we got uh, these things when we were out. You know, do you know, do you know what day it was on Thursday? St. Patty's Day, okay. So my friend's name is Patty, Patty Ryan. And, and, and as, as, I, as I hang out with these people, I, I find out that it's not that they never had any interaction with Christians or with church of any kind. As I hear their stories, I find out that they did have experience with church and it was negative. And because of that negative experience, they've walked away from church and they've walked away from God. And so it's almost like a personal calling of my own to be able to spend time with these people and to be a representative of God to them and let them know that even though you have may have felt this way from church, God doesn't feel this way towards you. And so I got to spend time with Patty and, and, and as we were celebrating St. Patty's Day, I got to tell him, I said, do you know the story of St. Patrick? As he said, no, I really don't. And I got to tell him the story of this English young man at 16 years old who was captured by Irish raiders, taken to Ireland, and was a slave for 16 years. And finally he escaped, made it back to England. But when he came, went back to England, became a priest, he, he heard, he had a dream of the Irish calling him back to Ireland to share the gospel with them. And he went back and he showed them this, and he demonstrated God's love towards them. And, um, and so I got a chance to, to tell Patty about that. And he, uh, he texted me not too long ago, this, this text. He says, I believe I am closer to our Father now than I've been in my 56 years. I better understand and appreciate my faith with each passing year. And I wrote back to him and said, that's so cool to hear, Patty. You're on an awesome journey and it's a beautiful thing to watch and my friends when you think about people in the world you know, oh I'm stuck now <laughs> when you think about people who are lost when you think about people who are broken we can be condemning or we can extend kindness. 
And it's God's kindness who that led us to repentance. And it's our kindness to them that will lead them to Jesus. So let me just pray. We're going to have some questions up here for us to interact with and to think about and reflect upon. And then after a few minutes of silence, we'll get a chance to interact with one another uh, on those very same questions. So let me just pray. Father God, you have been so kind to us. You're so good to us, even when we were lost, even when we were broken, even when we had no interest in you whatsoever, you extended yourself out to us. And Father, we do not want to be like those Pharisees. We do not want to be like the, the Jewish people that Paul was writing to. Help us to be not so fast to criticize, to condemn, to be judgmental, but instead to extend kindness to those who are far from you. We pray this for our good and for your glory in our lives. Amen.
All right, family. Okay. Will you please stand and join us in singing Let There Be Light.
for today is going to come up on the screen. Verse reflected on earlier that Mike spoke on. We're just going to take a minute to read that together if we could. You, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? critical point of our time together. It's not the message. It's the, not the music. It's the time when we remember the one point in history when God dealt with our sin. 
and took care of it for all time and for all eternity. We're going to celebrate communion together. And if you did not get an opportunity to grab one of these uh, little combo packets here with the wafer and the juice in it together, feel free to make your way to one of the tables at the front or in the back. We have them. Here at Kettlebrook, we celebrate an open table. And so we don't uh, have any expectation that you are a member of, of Kettlebrook. You may be visiting from out of town. All that we ask is that you have bowed the knee to Jesus as your king. You've given him authority in your life, and you've received that free gift of forgiveness that he offers you on the cross. And uh, so on the night before Jesus uh, was betrayed and went to the cross, he took this very typical Jewish Passover meal, and he infused it with brand new significance and all sorts of meaning that it always symbolized. And he took bread and he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. It's going to be broken for you. Take and eat it together. So let's take the bread together. And then after they were done eating that Passover meal, he took the cup and he said, this cup symbolizes going to be the new covenant, the new agreement, the new arrangement that God is going to make with all of humanity in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We have forgiveness of sins. That should fill our hearts with gratitude and humility and peace and freedom and then we get to extend that to others. Not judgment, not condemnation, but kindness. It's God's kindness that led us to repentance. So let's drink God's kindness together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. We thank you that we are able to focus on and center on the singular event that really happened 2,000 years ago. Your son really entered into our world, lived in a physical body, and was really crucified and nailed to a cross. And on a cosmic spiritual level, you somehow abolished all of our guilt all of our debt, all of the sin that we could never pay for if we simply believe it. Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't quite know that yet, isn't convinced of it, I pray that you, in your kindness, would whisper to their soul that it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. This is how much I love you. I would rather send my son into your world to die a cruel death than to not have you by my side with me in relationship for eternity. It's true. We thank you for this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Please join us in singing the next song.
Church. Uh, after services, we have people in a prayer room over there to uh, my left, your right. If anyone needs prayer, there are people who are ready, willing, and able to pray with you. We don't want anyone to leave without getting prayer if, if you need it at this point. I'm going to make myself available uh, up here if anybody wants to talk about what we talked about this morning and, uh, and have a conversation about that. And we always have coffee and donuts in between services, so be, feel welcome to stick around, stay around. And you know what? As I'm looking out over the crowd, there's all sorts of new people here that I don't know. So if you're like me, and there's all sorts of new people here that you don't know, go up and say hi to one of them and introduce yourself. And uh, who knows? You might just make a friend. Let's just uh, let's have a benediction. My friends and family of Kettlebrook Church, would you go from this place knowing that it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance? And we have this wonderful invitation to extend kindness to others that help lead them towards Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us this morning and worshiping with us virtually. We'd love for you to take a next step. Uh, maybe that's joining a group. Maybe that is serving in some way, but some way in a family of faith near you, taking a step beyond the virtual gathering. Yeah, what we read in Scripture is that the body is meant to build one another up into the fullness and maturity of Christ. And that cannot happen really alone. We don't find uh, lone wolf Christians, if you would, in the New Testament. And so we would so strongly encourage you to engage in your local faith community where you are or here in the body at Kettlebrook Church. We'd love to have you take a next step in that way. So God bless and hope to see you soon. God bless.